0: Download it today at the Apple App Store or Google Play. Hunt Stand. Upgrade your arsenal.
1: Check out Dogs are at dogsaretreed.com and if you go to their website at checkout and enter the code HXP20% off, you will get 20% off of your entire order on all of their branded products. Leashes, tie-outs, medical kits, paws are protected. Build your pack from the ground up and support a fellow houndsman that supports your lifestyle. Enter the code HXP20% off at checkout. Go to their website today at com. This is the Houndsman XP Podcast.
2: Good dog, get that bird. Get that bird in here.
1: The original podcast for the complete houndsman. On this episode of the Houndsman XP, it is going to be mass mayhem. We have got a point blank coming at you, and it is uh, the whole Houndsman XP crew plus our guest, Mark Dufresne, coming at us from Maine. And we're going to get into this thing. It's wild. I'll just tell you right now, uh, it starts off wild, it ends wild, but in the middle, we've got some very valuable information for you. And we're going to discuss some of the hardest-hitting, hottest topics affecting us as houndsmen. And in this episode, you're going to hear some wild and crazy stories about interactions with wildlife, bizarre interactions with wildlife. Uh, We're going to talk about wolves and wolf management. Wisconsin is in the middle of a battle right now, trying to maintain and augment and hold on to their wolf management plans up there and lauren branny if you're not following her on social media then do so she will keep you informed she's passing tons of information on her personal pages also you can go over to the houndsman xp group she's uh, posting there as well all the latest information and what you need to know about wolf management and even if you don't help wisconsin you need to hear what they're doing pick up some pointers and then and then get with people from the Wisconsin Bear Hunters Association because they are leading the charge on this thing and Luke Helgeman with Hunter Nation they are also testifying and leading that helping helping lead the charge on this battle to manage wolves in Wisconsin so even if you're from another state and you've got wolves in your state I'm telling you right now there's information here for you to glean I'm not going to Beat my gums a long time in this pre-roll. It's it's a, a great show, and I want to get right down to it. And uh, just one last thing, I want to tell you: if if you were a Patreon member by I'm tar- sorry, August first, August first, then you are going to be included in our drawing in September for a Dakota two eight three G three medium kennel, great kennel, and a dash three point five. So, if you joined us, then we appreciate it. Patreon members, we always appreciate you guys. You're the bread and butter and the heart and soul of this podcast. And, guys, this is a wild and crazy... I'm not even sure which way this track's going, but we're going to open the doors on on the Old South Dog Box. It's time to dump the box. Southern Hound Hunting Magazine is the most comprehensive magazine that represents your lifestyle as a houndsman. If you can hunt it with a hound, it is being covered in the pages of Southern Hound Hunting Magazine. You also get an in-depth look at the men and women who are engaged in this lifestyle, living it every day to the fullest, from the Rocky Mountains to the Southern Swamps and across the ocean with articles about our international houndsmen. And what they're chasing across the pond. Go to SouthernHoundhunting.com, get your subscription for fifteen dollars a year. Southern Hound Hunting magazine promoting the Fair Chase experience.
5: Mark, I wish you were on video. I wanna I don't even know what you look like.
3: It's better that way, trust me. <laughs> <laughs>
5: I mean, I wish it, I wasn't on video. It looks like I haven't showered, but I showered last night. Don't feel like it anymore. Liar! No, I did.
1: <laughs> you did not. Or you're probably in a on normal like a, week. You're like on a three-day rotation. You work from home in a
5: normal in a normal week. You are right, but yesterday I did a lot of stuff and tried to mow the yard before the storms, and I felt disgusting. So
1: <laughs>
5: that's why the hair is braided because I did the post-shower braid.
1: I thought you maybe maybe you did that before you took a shower so you didn't have to wash your hair.
2: <laughs>
1: That's what I'm thinking. I grew up Somewhere. with with three girls in my well, one woman and two girls in my house. I'm not even in gonna talk weather, about my shower regime.
5: <laughs> in this weather, you kind of have to wash your hair, but if it was winter, yeah, you don't wash your hair every time you shower.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, we are going forward with this Point Blank, and we are complete here on the uh, Houndsman XP team, except for Shorty, who is MIA and well-informed, and I'm not sure where the heck he's at, but we've got, we've got Mark Dufresne with us from Maine. How you doing, Mark? I'm good. Thanks for having me, Chris. Yeah, I'm glad to have you back, man. I'll tell you what, the last uh, episode you did with us for Houndsman XP was a big hit, and uh, we thought, what the heck, we'll try it again. Well, good
3: deal. I hope I can add something interesting.
1: So, just give our guests a real quick rundown, Mark. Uh, Just give us like a two-minute resume.
3: Two-minute resume. Is that possible? Well i don't know i i mean you pull up my name on the internet and there's a big list of stuff so let's see i
1: uh, america's most wanted I fbi to- <laughs> fbi most wanted list
3: yeah for sure so uh oh i live out here in maine and um went to school for wildlife biology i've always hunted and fished and uh, been a taxidermist most of my life uh Worked around the country doing wildlife biology work and settled back in Maine and uh continue to do taxidermy and I guide uh breed my plot dogs and that pretty much sums up my life.
1: Man, that's worth a lot more than two minutes, sorry.
5: <laughs> and uh for you guys for you guys that are listening, just to reference back, um he was on episode one ten of our podcast. <laughs> Um, about breeding selecting and conditioning
1: and he was on before that too
5: well i don't have that i don't have that number in front of me yeah it's way (laughs) back it's way back there. i gotta scroll yeah
1: it's way back
6: there
5: way Um, back
6: yeah mark i'll save the listeners a bunch of like nerdy mumbo jumbo but what do you primarily work with
5: biology
3: um well, so right now I'm doing uh I've been doing taxidermy full time for quite a while, but when I was doing wildlife work, um you know, I worked out in Oregon, worked up in Alaska, worked out Wisconsin, worked here in Maine. Um right now, you know, the taxidermy work is kind of let me get grounded. The wildlife work I I was all over the place, you know, it was oh, yeah. seasonal work and mm-hmm. it was pretty tough to have a family, so uh bang, I landed back here, and I'm a taxidermist, and I was mounting a big old bear today, big black nice. bear from uh, coastal North Carolina.
6: Dang, that's rad. Yeah, that's the thing. Um, The wildlife field is so competitive, and also, yeah, you travel so much. I'm very, very fortunate to have a full-time station here in, in southern New Mexico. I, I know I'm very fortunate to have that. Um, yeah,
5: that hornada, right, right yeah. close to you.
6: Yeah, it's really nice. I'm a rat guy. I'm a desert rodents fan, big time. Right, right. So we do most of our, you know, desert rodents are a really important um, kind of indicator species for the entire desert system. They rebound quickly when conditions are good, and they'll give you a quick kind of snapshot of what's going on out there based on the, like, dynamics of a rodent population. So I I love rats. They're sweet. They're such a cool animal. Chris hates rats, but... (laughs) They, uh, they have a lot to tell us, and they're really cool. And the ones out in the desert are cute, and they don't bother you. So they're not like nasty sewer rats. <laughs>
5: <laughs> yeah, and nice. you failed me, Seth. I didn't get to hold one. So when I come back out, it's game on. <laughs>
6: Definitely. I, 100%. You know, you came in the wrong time of year. They're not very active in the winter time. They're they, they a larder hoarder, so they, they store tons of food underground. They work their butts off all fall. And then they st- essentially don't come above the surface except very rarely until about May. So yeah, I'm I'm just very... trying to
5: like avoid the poisonous snakes in conjunction with the the holding the rats. So
6: you know our snake population is like record <laughs> yes, low <sir>. right
5: now. <laughs>
6: so it's a good time for you.
2: Hello, good. Oh, oh we got I a new Shorty.
4: guy. Hey, yeah, finally.
6: What are you doing, man? How's it going?
4: <laughs> yeah, it's good. How's everybody doing?
6: Good, good. We're just uh hanging out, chatting about rats. I got a fellow wildlife biologist around here, so I'm going to I'm going to save the <laughs> listeners a bunch of dorkiness.
4: <laughs> well, well,
3: I was trapping I mean, black-tailed deer out in Oregon. Oh, that's fun. <laughs> a
6: little well, harder to wrestle than
3: a rat. <laughs> yes.
4: <Yeah. laughs> no, I'll be saying, Well, hey, I'm used to camp with with wildlife ball so i know how i know how that can go but really what we're, we're at in oregon
3: i worked in uh, out of medford and uh, i was down ashland and up around crater lake uh kind of skipped all around that country there
4: okay i got you i got you. i was just the last um i was just out there um south of like klamath falls uh, sure, around that Goose Goose Lake. Yep. Got gotcha. yep. Nice gotcha. area yeah. out there. Well, it was until all the fires started burning, and and uh, anyways, no, it was good. It was good while we were there, but but uh, but definitely, yeah, a lot of that country, well, north of there, is getting burned up. Anyways.
6: I think you may be muted, Chris. <laughs>
1: hey,
2: not yeah, a bad He thing. is. He is. <laughs> I'm
1: not <laughs> muted now. All right. <laughs> I, was letting the conver- I was letting the conversation roll. I was, so, let- I was watching your mouth move, but nothing was happening. <laughs> yeah. All right. So we got a good segue here into our first topic, and I want to talk about we're gonna just start this whole point blank deal off with. Uh, uh, first of all, let's lay out a point blank. So we take a few topics and we discuss uh, topics of the day, and it's light and it's fun. And Lauren, what are you drinking? <laughs>
5: um. Well, this. uh that is is a bush light. It's not a bush light today. It's whiskey, spicer, spicy ginger, and orange cocktail. It's made by a company called Two Chicks. So I'm just being super feminist here today.
2: <laughs>
5: um, I'm progressive. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I, I saw the can. I was like, oh, that's pretty and has whiskey in it. So all right. Um, <laughs> it's, it's leftovers from my week-long vacation in the North Woods.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
6: Seth, what you got in front of you? um it's not what i'm drinking it's what is containing it that is so special here today (laughs) i'm drinking decaf coffee because coffee is delicious and i don't need to be up till midnight tonight and you don't need caffeine
5: no he does not
6: only in the early morning (laughs) if it's a really boring kind of plant survey day otherwise no i'm good but it's a it's a mug that's covered in real pictographs of jackrabbits that were taken from Native American sites all over New Mexico and parts of Arizona. So it's uh pretty rad. I wish everyone had a webcam right now. I should oh, should I should this should be the banner of our episode. You take right? a picture no, you take a picture of it
1: and uh we'll see if we can post it. So you, I'll tell you what we don't need we don't need you on caffeine is what we don't need. So <laughs> Yeah. But I mean,
5: hey I I pretty much lived around him for like a month and a half, two months. And I mean, I can agree.
6: (laughs) Says the person who had I had to drive your truck back in the middle of the night. Well, I
1: guess that was skunking, but (laughs) that was because
5: of the skunks. Yeah.
1: What do you, what do you got in front of you, Mark?
3: An air conditioner.
1: An air conditioner. Yeah, no doubt. Same here. (laughs) How about you, Shorty? Let me guess.
4: Hey, hey! You know, you know me. If, if it's gonna be drink, it's gonna be uh, Coors Rocky Mountain uh, product. I'm, I'm on the Coors Light again. Silver <laughs> Bullet. You,
5: you know what? You know what, Shorty? The first time I went to Texas, I was at this like line dancing bar, and we were like hanging out with a bunch of guys, trying to make friends, trying to get us to buy drinks, and they had their own beer koozies, and the, the guys like. Oh, I got a koozie for my Coors. And I'm like, what? Like, was that English? And it's like, yeah, a from for my Coors. And like four times later, I was like, oh, a koozie for your cur- Coors. Light, you know, Coors Light.
4: Yeah. So. No, well, hey, down here, we, we drink them fast enough. We don't need koozies. <laughs> so. Well, I've
1: been, I've been canning corn all day. And this was the byproduct of my canning corn. Awesome, awesome. Oh, What's oh that? Look awesome? What's that look like? White lightning, moonshine. son. Ah, little corn in a jar right here. <laughs> there you go. I got, got a
6: family in Kentucky. I know what moonshine looks like. They send us back some all the time.
5: Forget Wine. that song. Rain makes corn. Corn makes whiskey. That's I mean, right. Rain <laughs> makes corn and. Warren and Chris make
1: moonshine. <laughs> and the next XP podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I better lay off that or we won't be making any podcasts. <laughs> so, hey, our first topic of discussion, Mark Dufresne, you set this up uh, with your <laughs> message today about bizarre encounters with wildlife. So I'm going to let you lead, lead the show on this. Mark, tell us about your most bizarre encounter with wildlife.
3: Well, I don't know. I guess I've had a few, but uh, one that was pretty um, laughable, I guess, was when I was working out in Oregon. Uh, We were trapping the black-tailed deer, and we used a, um, a modified clover trap, which just simple explanation, it's like a pipe frame with a nylon mesh uh around it and then a set of ropes kind of like tent stakes that hold it down you can collapse it to get the deer's head out and uh basically you bait the trap and then once he's in there the gate drops and you collapse it down on him and pull his head out you can collar him and ear tag him and do all that and uh we had some uh volunteers with us from the forestry service a couple of uh young ladies there that were helping out and um We had a a pretty large buck caught, and he was in velvet, and uh, his antlers were kind of tied up, so I had to lift the trap partially up to get his head out from under the gate. And when I did that, he managed to squirt out, and uh, unfortunately, I happened to be standing right in front of him, and he went right between my legs, and when he stood up, I found out that my short, fat little legs just about touched on one side and then the other and down the hill we went, and I was backwards. And we went uh, about 200 yards before I come off of the back of them, but that was probably as close to bull riding as I've ever come.
1: That's a pretty good ride, isn't it, Shorty?
4: <laughs> yeah, yeah, hell yeah.
2: I mean, I don't
4: know how I'm going to save you, but hell,
2: get, get after it. I was going to say, I
3: just imagined Shorty running or, I didn't know whether to let go or hold on or scream or what. I just kind of grabbed the tail and... Wrote him down.
6: <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, what uh, made
5: you let go? Did you ever let go? Um, I honestly
3: can't really remember what, uh, what how it ended, except I was on my back looking up at the sky, sucking air, so I'm not sure if I hit something or he shook me off or what
5: happened.
6: Well of course he had to let go, Lauren. He's not gonna ride it forever,
3: like
5: well I wanted to know like the scenario there.
3: Shorty Shorty have you ever it was heard? it was a very steep hill and uh I was backwards on it so I couldn't even see where I was going was the worst part of it so I didn't know what I didn't dare let go for fear of going over into some rocks or what and I ended up on the ground though sooner or later.
1: Yeah. Shorty have um, you ever heard a story like that where you don't know how the ride ended? You get a you get a cowboy off the dirt and they don't know how the ride ended. They don't remember.
2: Yeah,
4: prob- probably. I get yeah, it, you know. But usually, typically, trying to find a way out is the worst scenario. Like just ride it till it <laughs> till it dies. You know, like it, it's <laughs> like when you when you're looking for a way to to save yourself, that's when you usually get hurt. <laughs>
6: I didn't know if you were talking about bull riding or my college days, but
1: <laughs> there,
4: there, <away. laughs> yeah, that could probably, that could probably go all the way. Ah, yeah.
1: my, moving along, moving along. <laughs> Shorty, what's your most bizarre, what? what's your most bizarre encounter with wildlife?
4: I don't know what the most bizarre is, but one of the, one of the most memorable was the guy, uh, there was a, actually a rodeo clown. Um, and, I, and I will mention his name because he doesn't care. His name is Robbie Hodges, and, and uh, he, he had gone on a cat hunt with me, and and uh, we caught a cat, and I said, hey, uh, uh, take take as many pictures as you want to, you know, whatever, videos, do what you want to do. He, he He's on social media and whatnot, and I, I said, hey, do whatever you want to do, and when you're done, let me know. I want to see if I can get this cat to jump out and run again. And uh, oh, okay, okay. So he he does his thing, you know, and it it takes a few minutes. And and when it's all set and done, he said, "Hey, I'm done." I said, "Okay, well, come over here with me. I'm gonna see if I can get this cat to jump out again." He said, "No, no, I'll, I'll just I'll just I'll just hang out right here." I said, "No, no, come over here with me." No shit, I'll just hang out right here. and Watch. I said, "Okay." Well, I knew exactly what was going to happen. So, uh, anyways, I get this cat to jump out, and it literally, like, jumped right in his lap. <laughs> and, and, and I can still to this day see this guy, like, dancing around trying to get away <laughs> from this damn, And the screams, and the, he, he's just like,
2: ah! 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 <laughs> And, and <laughs> now
3: where the where the dogs on top of him? That's when it gets sporty.
4: Uh, instantly. Like, yeah, I mean this cat jumps right in his lap and then like in you know, a quarter of a second the dogs are there and he's just and he <laughs> still the the coolest part about it was like ten seconds later, everybody's gone, but he still thinks the cat's trying to attack him. And <laughs> <laughs> it was Oh, it was, it was so fun. I laughed for days about that crap. And he, he, he had no idea. Afterwards, he's like, you
1: son of a bitch. And we'll pick up that conversation right after this word from our sponsor. Dakota 283 offers you unparalleled protection for your hounds. We're talking about military-grade kennel crates. Uh, I got, got one of these two-door kennel crates here at the house. It is super heavy-duty. It's got slap latches on it that are stainless steel, easily fits in the back of an SUV, or if you're traveling with a camper shell, it's a great way to keep your dog protected while you are traveling. You just gotta check out their Dash series. This is a watering system, and I've used a lot of these portable waterers over the years, but this system is all integrated into one unit, and the way it's designed out of high-impact plastic, The water stays in the tank when you're not using it because you can put a plug in it. Check them out. Uh, The 3.5 is also compact enough that I can store it behind the seat of my pickup truck while I'm out hunting when it's super cold. I've had exterior tanks before, and as soon as I go to cold climates, then I've got to figure out how I'm going to get water to my hounds, and the dash takes care of that. So check out Dakota 283 at... Dakota283.com and at checkout, enter the code HXP10 and get ten percent off of your order. This portion of the Houseman XP podcast is brought to you by Tier One Custom Calls. When it's all on the line, make the choice the pros do. Choose Tier One.
4: <laughs> you knew he was gonna I said, Why well, try to, to come over here? <laughs>
1: anyway. <laughs> Did he have any claw marks yeah. in him?
4: No, he didn't. No he souvenirs. Thought he had a hundred them.
1: Yeah. He, thought
2: he had a hundred
1: them. <laughs> Lauren, what you got?
5: Yeah. Um, I've got uh I guess I could talk about the bear that I almost wore as a top hat.
1: That was pretty um, cool I def- story.
5: <laughs> well, I definitely uh I learned my lesson and then uh it was the learning experience. So we had to go through a big, big swamp, neck deep in the water, to get to this bear tree, and that bear tree happened to be a tree that my friend got proposed to under a couple weeks ago, a couple weekends ago.
1: Same tree.
5: Same, same tree as that proposal tree. Huh. Wow. Fascinating. So, yeah. So um, we can, so she can tell that story another time. Um, but you know, everything happened. And then we're kind of like all there taking pictures and everybody's all happy. Um, And I'm kind of at the base of the tree and I'm taking pictures of Ben and Allie looking at the bear. Cause I'm like, I want to get them, you know, romantic, but also looking at the bear, you know, whatever. Cool. And I am just not paying attention at all because honestly, I am so used to bears going up trees and staying up trees. And apparently in that neck of the woods of Wisconsin, a, the bears really like to run and barely like to tree. And B, if they do tree, they're big time bailers, big time bailing bears. Say that three times fast. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm there with my phone taking pictures and this bear is coming down and I think I hear it in my ears like with my ears, but it just doesn't register. And they like slow motion. I see it then like yelling at me and like the fear of God are in their eyes. And they're like, Lauren, Lauren, watch out. And I actually have a picture of them yelling at me with their hands pointed up. And that bear was probably, uh, three feet from me coming down. And it came down and jumped right off and bailed. Um, so I learned to be a little bit more self-aware. Bear self-aware in that situation. Um, I've also had a monkey jump on my head. That was like kind of...
1: Was it wildlife?
5: Yeah, it wasn't in a zoo.
1: Oh, was? yeah, you're a world traveler.
5: Yeah, Yeah, that that happened in Costa Rica. uh, I think in 2008 when I was studying abroad there, it was just a bunch of us girls hanging out, not even knowing what the world was at that point walking around some little town in Costa Rica trying to find a place to eat or go to happy hour when we're under 21 and can't drink in the States. Um, (laughs) And we're walking down and we're all happy and all of a sudden this monkey jumps from like the power line or the roof of a house and lands on my head and tries to take my glasses. And it didn't get away with my glasses. I like screamed and like, you know, shoved my hands up really quick and it, it jumped off. We need, to, um, we need
1: was, to put the webcam up. <laughs> Just that part right there where you're like trying to
5: shoot off your head, even to this day.
1: Get a literal monkey <laughs> off your back. Like.
5: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I ended up like with my glasses like this, like half taken off my face, barely hanging on. And uh, I think it's called like a squirrel monkey or something like that. Um, there's not a lot of them left in the world. So uh, an endangered or something kind of species monkey landed on my head in Costa Rica. Whoop-de-doo. You're trying to punch him off your back.
6: They're
1: endangered, and here you are, not letting him have your glasses. That's messed up. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll tell you what. I got a couple thoughts on that one, Lauren. One is, like, the bear deal. It reminds me of uh, guys that get talked in, people that get talked into climbing their first mountain lion tree, and as they're <laughs> climbing up, the the cat, the, the lion just releases his bladder all over him. He's he, pe- yeah, yeah, yeah. all over him. You know, oh. so I was the whole time you were telling that story I was thinking, man, it's a good thing it wasn't huckleberry season in Wisconsin or blueberry season and it didn't just like release its whole bowel right <laughs> on <Berries> top. <sighs> oh your- my gosh, that had been horrible. <laughs>
3: oh man.
2: Yeah.
3: I I saw, I saw that happen to a young kid one time with blackberry season here in Maine and uh He had his mouth open looking up that tree, and even the dogs moved. The dogs even moved, and he never saw it coming. That's
1: That's way more bizarre than riding a blacktail backwards down a mountain. (laughs) It's got more shock value, that's for sure.
5: Gee whiz. That's
1: for sure.
5: I, I can see. From here, we did actually walk over part of like the boggy island in that swamp, getting to the tree, like between clear, fresh water that we'd go through. We did see bear scat, and I was like, and it it was there was berries and like it was you know I was like oh well that that bear just actually swims the water just to the middle of boggy islands. Good to know. (laughs) Yeah,
6: Mark, I don't know you well, but it's got to go without saying that. I know why you didn't talk about that story is because getting covered in animal fluids is just like an everyday occurrence
3: for us. It's it's normal. I mean, it's (laughs) happened many times. I'm I'm really not even thinking that was that special. Exactly.
5: (laughs) And here I am. I don't get mad when toads pee on me when I pick them up.
3: (laughs) Yeah,
6: yeah. When you you pick up a... um, like a wood rat which is like a desert pack rat their first instinct is to release their bowels and bladders and roll in it to make themselves as disgusting as possible and so immediately in our nets they're just this diarrhea and urine soaked little rat he just looks like eyeballs coming out of caked on diarrhea and he's just <laughs> like hissing at you and his teeth are bared And i'm just like mm, another day just grab him like
1: do you wear so, gloves
6: <laughs> <clears throat> i do wear gloves yeah yeah yeah
1: yeah 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 don't need Definitely. to get another case of diphtheria. <laughs> wow. Seth, what do you got for most bizarre wildlife encounter? There's got a, this is going to be epic.
6: I, honestly?
1: Don't let like, us down.
6: <laughs> well, bizarre. Okay, so one time we were hilarious. I don't know. Bizarre is a hard one, but hilarious. I, I laughed so hard I fell down to my knees crying, which is rare. But one time we were rodent trapping. We had this new guy. And uh, he he was an experienced rodent handler, so we weren't worried about it. But he had this big, aggressive wood rat. And we're talking like a 400-gram wood rat, which doesn't seem that big, but that's like a small (laughs) guinea pig. And that thing has some serious fangs and a terrible attitude. And he grabbed it in the net. And when he tagged it in the ear, he set it down to let it go. And it immediately ran up his leg. So instead of 99.9% of them running away, he ran straight up his leg. So he's like punching himself in the leg, trying to stop this guinea, this rabid enraged guinea pig from like running up his leg. And it runs all the way up into his boxers. Okay, so he's like punching himself <laughs> in the Mississippi leg. Mississippi Squirrel Revival right here. And,
1: and then
6: my friend, the, the guy, I'm gonna keep him nameless because he still works with us. He just locks up in terror and he's like, guys, he's against my nuts. And I was like, don't, <laughs> don't I'm dying, I'm rolling on the ground, I'm laughing. He's in terror. He looks like a deer he, it caught in the headlights. Just his eyes are this big. He's just frozen in terror standing there. Finally, he just takes his pants off and the rat's takes off running. But I just remember the look. He's like, guys, he's by my nuts. <laughs> <laughs> he just
5: wanted a snack, right? Oh, and the uh. worst
6: thing is, guys, Imagine a diarrhea covered rat all over your nuts. Like that's the worst thing. <laughs> wow. <The>
3: worst
6: thing. <laughs> wow. So anyway, yeah,
3: yeah. So that's uh, the, the hazards of working with this rats. This conversation so. is going downhill fast.
1: Man, I should have <laughs> filtered. Quick. I should have. I should have filtered this out before we got started. <laughs> you oh, asked. You told
6: me not to hold back.
2: Oh, but I my
6: got to some Havolina last year and uh that was that was pretty crazy that's the everyone always talks about how dangerous they are and i think unless they have babies their reputation is vastly overblown they are very aggressive yeah. to dogs they'll chase dogs all the time but with people i've come up on them even with offspring they always run but um i was hunting havelina last year and i was in this um i was in this tiny uh, wash with steep banks on each side and i had a havelina in distress call on my phone and i so i'm hunting with a flintlock i got one shot and i'm walking through this crazy thicket where i know the havelina are i got the wind in my face all this wind behind me and i hit the call in my pocket after i just stop and cock my flintlock the second the call goes off in my pocket the brush explodes behind me havelina start running directly towards me cuz i got the sound of a baby havelina squealing in my pocket and you always imagine yourself being some kind of like badass safari hunter and holding your ground immediately i just ran away like screaming guttural sounds of terror as i just run up the hill with three of them chasing me
5: you you didn't lose your bowels or anything did you no like, i should that?
6: have though i should have though as a defense mechanism but no i just ran going hey 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 as i just like ran up the mountain
3: but now was... i would have been impressed if you uh released your bowels and rolled in it to instantly <laughs> you know become less uh, palatable you know... to the Avelina.
5: Seth (laughs) wants to become one with nature. So, like, I think you need to work up to that, Seth. I want to see it happen. (laughs) No, I don't want to see it.
6: If I ever get in a bar fight, that's 100% what I'm going to do,
2: dude. 100%.
5: In a prison fight where you use your prison name.
2: That's it, dude. Yes, exactly. But Chris. (laughs) Anyway.
5: Mr. (laughs) <laughs> Mr. Retired Game Warden uh, I'm sure you've got a couple up your sleeve but what takes the cake
1: there is nothing as entertaining as what Seth just talked about oh my gosh <laughs> that's crazy stuff right there Wait,
4: I want to know what your Lauren said use your prison name what's your prison name
1: it changes all <laughs> the time
6: it, it, what's oh your latest boy. one okay. what is my latest one Lauren gosh it's been so long
5: I don't know. Was yours death roll or was no? no that
6: was yours, dude. Oh, okay, I couldn't remember mine. I don't know, guys. It has to come organically. You can't just force a prison name. Yeah, you, know you know should I mean. have this rehearsed. <laughs> I don't go to prison. I'm a good guy. You might <laughs> be,
5: but but we do talk about prison names in some of our other pod- podcasts. Yeah, go
6: back about, and listen.
1: So that's so a, Hey, yeah. that's a, that's like a, a, a Patreon giveaway or something. If somebody can come <laughs> up with Seth's prison name, we'll send you a <laughs> hat. We'll send you and a hat. Honestly,
5: and honestly, even if you guys come up with the wrong prison name, as long as it's a really good one, we'll send you a hat anyway.
1: Uh, <laughs> yeah, hat. Yeah, no kid, no kid.
5: And, and and we'll come up with your prison name to embroider on the hat.
1: Oh, oh my God. good, I don't know if I can pull that off. Don't be overpromising. <laughs> yes, exactly. It's got to be. Abandoned. Chris, save us. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, I you know. There were quite a few of those crazy wildlife-related calls. It seems like we're always the ones that get those calls when people when people encounter crazy stuff with wildlife. I mean, they they pick up the phone and call nine one one, and then who else to send? Let's send the game warden. And uh, so there were a few. I mean, I've I've had live deer in cars, and, and you know, that went through the windshield of cars and different things, and and people bail them, but probably the craziest one is like our, our state parks and our state reservoirs uh, are just like many cities on the weekends. And um, all these people come out, and they're they're getting back to nature and enjoying, you know, roughing it around the campfire right outside their $50,000 RV. But every <laughs> once in a while... Yep. But every once in a while, you get people that just come out and they tent camp. And, uh, of course, we, had, we have tons of raccoons around our state properties. And uh, these people were sitting around the campfire at night, and it's not unusual. I mean, I've, I've seen it multiple times, raccoons just lurking in the shadows, waiting for a buttered pretzel bite or a roasted marshmallow or a half a hot dog or whatever. And uh, so this lady was was feeding raccoons out of a bag of buttered pretzels, and she absolutely just—I mean, she did. She was just enjoying herself and all this stuff. Well, she she got bored, and the raccoons ran off for a few minutes, and she turned around and she put the bag of pretzels on the picnic table, and. Uh, after a while she you know she got tired and decided to go to bed and she walks in her tent she kind of she she crouches down with her little headlamp on and goes into her tent where she left her toddler in a sleeping bag who had gone to bed earlier in a little mini sleeping bag a little little snoopy sleeping bag laying there And as she enters the tent, she looks over, and there's a mama raccoon with three kittens with a bag of buttered pretzels in the middle of them that were completely passed out. I mean, totally went into a pretzel coma around this two-year-old toddler laying on a sleeping bag. And she didn't even know whether to try to reach in and get her kid or or just call us. And so we were we were working the property that night and got there and this mother raccoon was now guarding the two year old toddler, probably more like she was guarding her kittens, but it appeared that she was guarding this toddler from, from all evil in the world. Dang. That's that's probably one of the craziest little but, wildlife calls but how did I ever got. It end? How did it end? Just reached yeah. in and grabbed the kid, folded up the tent and made life very unpleasant inside the tent for the for the uh for the raccoons. But uh I'm pretty it's pretty safe to say that they probably never use that that tent again because it was full of pepper spray by the time by the time oh. we were done.
5: Oh man. I'm glad they could get the kid out without mama like somehow going to attack it
1: yeah no it's like she had no it was the strangest thing she just moved in there with a bag of buttered pretzels and and was just great (laughs) just sitting there with like there wasn't a care in the world you know i don't care if you're here i'm eating buttered pretzels
2: i had to
5: (laughs) i had to beat raccoons off with a log from a backpack while i was on the beach in costa rica because these guys will get like a foot from you and you've got your backpack and you've got a loaf of bread and peanut butter and jelly packed in there. And they know that tourist bags have food. So for probably 45 minutes, I was beating off a clan of Costa Rican raccoon <laughs> from, from my backpack with this bread and then a jar of peanut butter and a jar of uh, jam that I had to rely on to eat. That was like my only food that I had budgeted for for like half a week. <laughs>
6: Your food was right there. Just grab a coon and. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Mark, did you ever do any small like carnivore trapping?
3: Oh, just uh, I think we did a little. Uh, I'm trying to remember so I can remember back the Zappus and Sonicus. Is that uh, is that the meadow white footed jumping? I can't even remember. Jumping mm. mouse something. But, uh, yeah, I did a little bit.
6: Okay. What did what'd you guys do with all the skunk blankets?
3: Uh, we got lucky. We didn't have to deal with any of that. Oh, my gosh.
6: (laughs) Our skunk blankets were on the back of our truck in a plastic bag. And one day we had to take our truck in for service. And we were like, guys, whatever you do, do not open that bag. And we left. We came back hours later to pick up our truck. And those guys are gagging all over the place. And that whole garage reeked. And they were like, we opened the bag. And I was like, why did you open the bag? <laughs> the whole garage just reeked of skunk. It was hilarious. We were, we were loving it. They weren't.
5: <laughs> I know what that smells like.
1: <laughs> yeah, yes, no kidding. Did you put the collars <laughs> in the dishwasher?
5: Uh, no. Uh, thank you for the reminder, though. Um, Cedar still smells really bad. And it's not her Garmin collar. Well, it probably is, but I don't care about that one. I care about the one she wears all the time. So, yeah, next load. The red collar's going in.
1: <laughs> oh, man. Jeez. That's disgusting.
5: All right. Yep. Oh, we got the mood
1: set. I'm not eating
3: it. dinner at your house, Lauren. No kidding. <laughs>
1: I was going to say, ugh.
5: <laughs> it's all sanitized in the end, you know. It gets so hot. That's,
1: that's what everybody thinks. And now a quick word from our sponsor. Houndsman XP is very proud of our partnership with the organization Freedom Hunters. Freedom Hunters is a nonprofit organization that takes America's veterans hunting from field to field, from the battlefield to a field near you when you volunteer your time to take America's warriors hunting with you and your hounds. It's easy. Go to houndsmanxp.com, click on the partnership tab, and it will take you to Freedom Hunters. You can go direct to their website to make donations at freedomhunters.org. Support America's heroes. Let's pay it back. Visit Freedom Hunters at freedomhunters.org or go to HoundsmanXP.com and you can find them on our website from field to field. <laughs> All right, let's let's talk about our topics for the night. Besides this one, that was that should get everybody loosened up for the the mood of this podcast. But, uh, Lauren, we're going to shift gears a little bit, and we're going to talk about something a little more serious, and that is wolf depredation in Wisconsin on hunting dogs. You've been tracking this thing, and um, you're the resident expert on this for us.
5: And well, resident expert, but not overall expert. Let's let's lay the law down there. <laughs> don't
1: be humble. Just just spit it out.
5: Yeah, uh, yeah. Honestly, today I have been super fired up and really kind of on edge and anxious and angry and happy and everything all at once so, so honestly having day, that so a normal <laughs> day for Lauren I, it sounds like it sounds like a normal day for a woman
4: i
6: was gonna say
1: it. <laughs> <laughs> wow
4: wow i was
3: thinking you know it, but i wasn't gonna say it i knew shorty would hey. say
5: it <laughs> you know what though like i like to joke about myself like that. Like, I I take that, and I'm totally okay laughing with it and going with it. So, you know, Chris knows I, I don't have – I don't really wear my heart on my sleeve and all that. So, anyway, Wolves, let's go back there. Uh, hot topic in Wisconsin, hot topic across the nation, especially the way the media have spun it. Uh, and it's an international news type thing too. So – uh crazy stuff happening here so we had that february hunt and now bear training season has started it started july 1st and we have started to see that depredation go up um you know what's what's funny is
1: well well tell us what depredation is i mean that was the the politically correct term yeah Yeah.
5: um it's wolves killing, attacking, maiming, um, harassing wildlife. It's kind of the, the full way that I look at it. Um, depredation is, is the actual kill, but there are instances of, uh, wolf harassment, wolf injury. Um, every dog that has an encounter with a wolf, the majority of them are not going to make it, but there are some that do, um, pets included. And, uh, so there's a report that that comes out, and it's not always um, well. It's it's just not con- uh, consistently updated at the same time. It's not um, always up to date. So we might be back a week, back two weeks. I don't know where to start with this. I mean, I guess uh, what what questions do you want me to answer? What what do you want me to go over, Chris? <laughs>
1: Well, I think just give us a general overview of what's going on up there, you know yeah. with the wolf depredation and how threatened not only our hounds are but also the the domestic farmers and and things like that the The numbers you're spitting out probably don't even include the depredation on livestock from wolves in the no. last month
5: no um i'm I'm getting a lot of reports just personally to me about depredations and not everything is also getting reported um, to the DNR and there's reasons for that. Um, Why do you and, think that is? Why? Um, well, we don't want Wolf Patrol patrolling around us where they know, okay, well, a lot of wolf problems are happening here. That means, okay, well, we need to go to this county. We need to go to this section because when a depredation report comes out, there is a dot put on a map with a caution zone around it. and um, you can see that and you can look for it. And that that does help us hunters be aware and be able to hunt smarter and that's something I do want to cover a little bit later. Um, but it also is, you know, greater on the map to those that don't agree with our lifestyle. Um, so starting this year, there have been actual confirmed kills in, on a pet in January, a pet injured in January, harassment in February of a pet, uh, killed pet in April, um, May a pet killed, a pet killed later in May. And then when training season started, the first depredation that happened that was reported uh, was a six-year-old walker dog um, on July 9th. Then another hunting dog killed on July 18th. Another hunting dog killed July 30th. August 6th, August 7th, there was a hunting dog killed and a hunting dog injured, two hunting dog in- dogs injured. On August 8th, one hunting dog killed. And that's only what we've gotten so far on the actual report. I've been fed more information personally um, from individuals that there's been more. Um, and, and it's really hard and it's really sad. And I know some people have seen differences in where they were able to harvest a lot of wolves. Um, I've gotten personal stories saying, well, we've seen a difference, you know, where I've been running bear that we don't see as many wolf sign. Um, but obviously where that wolf population is really high, um, Bayfield County being one of it, uh, there's obviously still big problems. And um, it's really sad to... To hear about people's dogs being killed and it's it's people that are just going about daily life doing what we've been doing for years and hunting smart and these things are happening and that's because the wolf population is just so exponentially grown over time and it is where it is now that this conflict is going to happen and Uh, when I posted on my Facebook page that this week's depredation report is going to hit, hit hard and people are going to be sad and frustrated, whatever kind of feeling you want to feel about it. Um, I was met with uh, a lot of support and then I was also met with people that didn't give any Fs about it and they were pretty, pretty angry saying, well, you know, there's that risk you take. And I agree.
1: Yep. Yep. Mark, you got any thoughts on that?
5: Oh, I
3: think it's an absolute mess. Um, you know, we've, uh, here in Maine, there's been a little bit of a push, uh, occasionally to reintroduce the wolves. And, you know, we have had some wolves that are killed that travel down in from Canada, but we're lucky here. We don't have to deal with it. Um, I, You know, I think the world of my dogs, I can't imagine, you know, going out there and uh, having to risk getting them killed by wolves. It would infuriate me personally. Um, I
4: don't know. I can't even imagine it.
1: Shorty, what do you say?
4: Well, you know, I think it's, it's it's a risk that's not going away. Um, right. we're, we're all going to, we're all going to have to face this someday, even, even in the West, you know, um, uh, the guys in the East, uh, ha, has had, have had to face it sooner than we have, but it, it's, it's a growing concern in the West. Um, there's wolves in, in, New Mexico, there's wolves in, uh, Arizona, there's now wolves in California,
5: Colorado um,
4: or yeah, Oregon, Colorado. So, but but the thing is, um, like we're just gonna have to adapt, and that and that's just a fact. Like that's that's, I whether you love it or hate it, like we we are gonna have to adapt as houndsmen and go, and you know, if you if you strike a track or if you find a track or however you find a track, like go, make a circle, and. And see what's in your country. Like, see, see, is there a wolf in the area? If there's not, go ahead and turn loose on it. But the days of, uh, of just free casting, or or however you're finding your tracks, and and just letting the hounds go. You know, I mean, they're. I'm not saying they're over, but. Uh, it may be wise to go find a track and then go make a little loop and, and find out if if there's a wolf in your area and, you know, maybe a single wolf might not be a big concern, but if you find a pack of wolves, might not want to turn out there. But I I think it's just, it's something we're going to have to deal with and, and love it or hate it, it's going to be.
1: Well, I think, I think most of the animosity comes about that the wolf has been so politicized. And there's a, there's a political motivation behind, uh, this Mm -hmm. effort to keep the wolf on the endangered species list. And, um, that doesn't sit well with houndsmen in general, you know, two years ago in the, in the Swan Valley, we only turned loose on one track. I think we only turned loose on one track in five days of hunting because every other track we found did exactly what you said, shorty. We made a circle. We found wolves crossing in to the area that the line track was headed. So we opted not to turn loose. And 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 that's a hard thing for houndsmen to to accept. Well, it's
5: really hard in Wisconsin.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and and I'll play the devil's advocate here a little bit. Uh, just for a second. You know there's a risk every turn we time we turn a hound loose, you know in Indiana in Ohio and Illinois and you know this coon bed coon dog hotbed, every time we turn a dog loose, we run the risk of having one hit on the road, but we're not asking people to stop driving cars uh, if you turn loose in Louisiana to hog hunt any time beside maybe January and early you know through February. You run the risk of getting a hound eaten and killed by an alligator, but people still hog hunt um the other but but here's the problem i I've spent a lot of time thinking about this the The thing that that is so frustrating for us as hound hunters is this is something you know if you're a hog hunter in Louisiana, Mississippi you know, any of those coastal countries or states down there, you understand and you grew up with those those risks. And, and it was part of honey. But this is completely different. This is something that has been... Fo- new. Yeah, it's new and it's been forced on people. Right. S- Seth?
6: I mean, I'm just going to listen mostly because this is never going to be an issue for me because... I mean, my dogs, when they never can encounter a wolf, and if they do, a wolf can't catch them.
2: So, like, and I don't mean that in, like, a snarker. <laughs> You're day, right. I mean that in a dead serious way.
6: Like, if a wolf was like, I want to eat this weird, nasty-looking dog, I'd just, the, my dogs would be like, I'm just going to jog and get away from you. So, like, and we're there with them always. Our dogs never leave our sight. So it's a thing, but I I don't have much to weigh in because the, the whole Mexican wolf, it's a whole different um situation and our culture here is a lot different the po- the politics is a nightmare and like that's why i absolutely refuse to get into any work with wolves like i never wanted to it's just to me it's a non-starter because it is just it just brings out the worst in both sides it really does and so it's really hard to be a mediating voice which i always want to be and man whew, it is tough and i agree with shorty you know and again i don't have any dogs in this battle but like they're common, naturally, because the way we yep. use the land is totally different now. Even if, if they're reintroduced into certain areas, they're going to eventually make their way on their own. Now, Everywhere. the sad thing is is it's so politicized. You know what I mean? If, if they were treated like bears or lions, it would be no problem. You could manage them to the level of the that's population. That's the that issue is. right yeah. there. Yeah. that's I it. Mean, yeah. I'm 100% mm-hmm. pro-wolf hunting. We hunt mountain lions. New Mexico has tons of mountain lions. We hunt bears. New Mexico has tons of bears. We can have wolves, keep them at a level that's socially acceptable, and have plenty of wolves alive. Same thing goes for the feral horse. I don't understand why we can't have the North American game model for a feral horse. Same concept. So, I mean, keeping them on the— You can't help Flicka. Yeah, but you're
5: talking about a a socially acceptable level. And that's That's... kind of like a, a debate, too.
6: Yeah, I mean, it is. But the thing is, is that when is anything in life not a debate, right? I mean, you're always going to have to compromise with people on anything. It's rarely your way or the highway. And so that's the nightmare of wildlife biologists. I mean, Mark, you know what I'm talking about.
2: Yeah, that's what
3: infuriates me about it is the fact that uh, the science doesn't matter in these debates and arguments. I mean, the, the politics of it have have really taken Amen. hold and, and that's what's driving it and that's the real problem is what needs to be done everybody knows what needs to be done it's simple everybody can see what needs to be done but you can't get it done because of the politics
4: there you go yes
5: so it's, uh what,
4: go ahead
6: lauren
5: so and chris is talking about the risk and you know a lot of houndsmen you know, I'm kind of the unpopular opinion here that I know that this wolf problem is not going away. We can't do the whole no wolves thing, kill them all. Like, it's just never going to happen. So you have to accept that. And I accept that risk. However, I will accept that risk better when that population is actually managed correctly and not allowed to get to the point where it has right now. Because obviously that risk goes down the less wolves you have.
1: Well, and you're in the hotbed of it right now, Lauren. And today there was yeah a, there was a natural resources, natural resources board meeting that you, I listened
5: to it for four hours.
1: Yeah, so give us an update of what Wisconsin is kicking around and and what was debated today. Give us some insight. Uh,
5: so the uh, the major topic of discussion was the DNR's recommendation to have a quota of 130 wolves taken in the 2022 season, which starts in the fall. Uh, who, who, proposed the who proposed that number? D- the DNR, um, this was Randy Johnson, the large carnivore specialist, along with the uh, scientific people that make these models. Um, and they were based on the minimum number of wolves and they wanted to maintain the population even though our current management plan does not call for that. So the DNR I think are against us to begin with as we saw with the Evers administration and the DNR uh, not allowing a hunt until Hunter Nation and Luke Hilgeman sued them and it was proven that they were breaking the law and Wisconsin does mandate a hunt as long as the uh, Wolf is in delisting status. Um, so what happened today is that was proposed and of 130. And then the board pretty much gets to hear, um, how they came up with that number and why they're thinking that. And then, uh, there was public comment for, I don't know how many hours, but I think it was 55 public comment before that we, we were allowed to each person had two minutes Um, Some went over, some were under, and we were allowed to supply public comment, which I posted on my Facebook prior to that. So um, I submitted my own comments and everything for them to see. Um, So I listened to 55 people give public comment, and um, what's really sad is the majority of them were either at a zero quota, I'm going to cry about it, I don't want the wolves killed, or one was uh 31 wolves some were five hundred and four um there was four hundred there was three hundred and fifty um and it was pretty funny because uh there were some members a lot of members of the board I will have to say they remained very professional and I enjoyed that the questions that they were asking and all that but the secretary was very unprofessional. He started to throw a tantrum. He pouted like a child, Um, and he's part of the opposition, and they just can't deal with the fact that we're coming against them with actual science and saying, hey, guess what? It's proven that the tribes are not going to be taking their um, part of the quota as part of the treaty deal. So we know that X amount of wolves aren't going to be taken, even if our quota is 130. That means state hunters get 70 uh, wolves total. So, so, so really,
1: was, so really, that whole number came out of politically motivated stuff.
5: Yeah, and there was discussion about, oh well, we can't make it too high because then we're going to get the Fish huh. and Wildlife Services, um, you know, starting to question us and. Um, all that stuff because what, of what the was a, federal Lauren, status. Lauren,
1: what was the wolf quota uh, for 2020? For the year 2020,
5: 200 wolves, and we harvested 216. We went over by nine percent.
1: But wasn't there a higher wasn't there a higher number that was kicked around prior to the quota being sent based on the science? Wasn't it like 1100?
5: Uh, that's the total population. So they had like a min, uh, what the prior count method. I thought the was, total population
1: was around 3000 in Wisconsin.
5: <laughs> I personally think it's closer to that, but the minimum count method that the DNR used prior to this new method that they're going to be using was between 900 and 1100. I want to say wolves. So Mark? that's what you were thinking was the total population.
1: Mark, you got something? No,
3: oh, just it, it these models and stuff that they use um it's it's just frustrating uh you know sometimes you know in the wildlife field, you know what the trend is that I saw more and more is less people with with real life experience and more book trained people
2: mm-hmm.
3: and you know these people need to get out in the field, and they need to go out there with these uh, coyote hunters, with the cat hunters in the winter, and they need to really see what's out there. And and there, you know, there's there's flaws. There's you're gonna have mistakes on these numbers, and they have allowances for you know information and whatnot. But until you get out there and you see it, you're you're not gonna really know and people just don't do that anymore. Less and less of it all the time. They want to rely on these models. And then 10 years later, well, we found that model was uh, flawed by 15%. So we're going to use this model. And 10 years later, they find that model's flawed. It's very frustrating.
5: Well, uh, and the problem in Wisconsin is the volunteers that they're using to do this this wolf tracking are... Pro-wolf, don't want any wolves killed people. So what do you think they're right. going to do the population? Oh, my Keep God. it low.
3: Look, they're going to lowball it, you know? Yep. you're Yeah. Dude,
6: I can't Ooh. even. Science done with volunteer? Oh, my goodness. Yeah. I, I mean, citizen data <laughs> compilation can have its value, I suppose, but not on a hot-button topic like that. Come on. Oh, no, isn't
3: that crazy to think about? I mean, you you and I can just see the problems with that oh, right away.
6: <laughs> I mean, the point of methodology is to avoid bias, and it's like when you're starting off on a pogo stick of of bias. I'm just over here like cringing. You know yeah. what I mean? Who's, it's not like yeah. we're it's, it's who like we're
1: sampling birds. You who know, funded the study? You know that's that's the thing when you get into ding 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 ding
4: ding ding ding. All there the money. Go.
1: Yep. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. That's right. You know, you get into this civilian civilian collection of data, voluntary. Who's Who's footing the bills? I mean, it's it's not. I mean,
5: obviously, it's not all civilians, and it's not all you know volunteer people that are from a you know a bias. But there is a problem there, obviously. Mm -hmm. Um,
6: You know, an animal like that is really tough to sample for. I will say, in the defensive train, like biologists and professionals, a large ranging apex carnivore like that they are tough to sample for i mean they're hard to see they're not like an elk where you can fly over in a helicopter and get a more or less accurate view of what's going on down there because they're small they're smart they're sneaky and they don't like to be seen so it is tough to get an accurate unless you're putting down tons of money tons of hours and lots of technicians on the ground who know what they're doing all of which is hard to come by uh it's tough so i will say admittedly that can be very hard but there's, trust me when I say, and Mark, I know you know I'm right when I say, there is armies of technicians that would love to get in on a wolf sampling project. So <laughs> it yeah. can be done. Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah, but you can fly yeah. over them in helicopters and shoot them. I mean, you can. <laughs> <laughs> you can. Alaska does it. Alaska <laughs> yeah. does it. They do aerial gunning for wolves, but the terrain's completely different. I understand that. You oh, know, my gosh. You know, comparing the Alaska... Uh, tundra forestry cover yeah. and everything else yeah. right to yeah. wisconsin i mean it's not even comparable and so. the people yeah <laughs>
5: <laughs> so so keep in mind with this 130 number that the dnr put out and that was to quote unquote maintain the population which we know 130 wolves is not going to maintain the population it's still going to allow it to expand um they voted uh, and 300 was the quota that they came up with. So state hunters will be allowed about 160 wolves in the end, uh, if this if this goes through.
1: So. What kind of roadblock? Um, what kind of roadblocks do you see coming up with that 300 the, proposed number?
5: The federal delisting. There's a meeting um, like two weeks or something like that after our season starts in November. Now that season that starts in November, you're not using hounds. That's pretty much all for trappers and like e collars, like not collars that you wear around your neck, but people that use e calls. Um, and then hound, hound running will start, you know, in the snow after all the deer season's done. December. Okay.
1: So, so what what are you hearing on the ground in Wisconsin that houndsmen should be doing now to uh, try to make sure that that wolves are managed properly in the state of Wisconsin.
5: Um, you know, not a whole lot, and that's—I mean—that's kind of the reality of it, and the sad part. Um,
1: well, you said you said that this number has been proposed. What's the next step?
5: Who uh, makes I'm this decision?
1: Sure.
5: Okay. Um, I'm not sure, and I—I I didn't get that far. Um, I know that kind of the NRB is the final, the final say in it. Um, well, let me, let
1: me, let me give you my perspective on it. Um, the NRB might be, might think they're the final say on it, but if. Right. Houndsman will contact their elected representatives in these rural areas and put pressure on politically from that side, the NRB is more than likely a politically appointed board, and they answer to somebody, and that is usually the governor's office, and elected representatives and state senators have amazing power to sway governor's offices. So uh, my recommendation is for houndsmen who are hearing these numbers that want to make sure that it goes through to contact your your state senators and your state representatives today not tomorrow, not next week, not when you get tired of running bears. Today, you make contact with them and say, "We want the wolves managed."
5: Yeah, well, we and, we and, don't and that's, the, the, that's yeah. the thing about it, though, is we as a community are being so reactive. And what I saw in this meeting is they're talking about, oh, well, the majority of the people were saying, you know, 0% and zero this and blah, 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 and everybody was against it. And then they're talking about the comments that they've got and the letters that they've got in their hand at this meeting, the board members saying, you know, the majority is, you know, one way or the other. Well, it's the other way. It's not our way. So we need to be more proactive about it. And, you know, I post, I can only do so much. (laughs)
1: Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> no, uh I was just reacting to Seth's video webcam there.
2: Oh, any oh fi- man! Any, I thought, I any thought you final- hated my comment. About
5: no, being no, no, proactive. no, no,
1: no. Any final thoughts? I mean, Seth, you've been you've been holding your tongue. No, I I, I honestly just enjoyed listening. Okay, I can I can hear Lauren's fiery passion. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm, she's, been I'm point, just, she's been on point she's been on point on this thing. I mean, absolutely. you guys if you guys want to keep up to date on wolf stuff in Wisconsin, then you need to follow Lauren on social media both Instagram well, and Facebook.
5: Yeah. What I'll say about like Facebook, Instagram is public. Facebook, if you're going to friend me and I have not met you in person, send me a message cuz I'm not going to accept your friendship. Because there's so Atta many girl. weirdos and, and anti-hunters out there that I'm not just going to you know, accept friendship with somebody with a dog in their picture. So,
1: <laughs> yep. Shorty, you got any final thoughts on that?
4: So, well, no, I, but I kind of threw the grapevine herd, and maybe Lauren will know more about this. Uh, is there any news on running hounds in idaho for wolves. oh my i mm. think chris
5: might have more information on that uh fun fact though you can train on wolves year-round in wisconsin should you so choose really not choose. yeah <laughs> just like coyotes i mean well coyotes you can hunt your own but wolves you can train year round. and there's one guy up in Nielsville that does it wow I'm not saying that there's more but yeah
1: yeah as far as as idaho goes i don't have any firsthand information that that is being um even talked about right now i think that a lot of houndsmen in idaho have resigned themselves to the fact that it can't be done because of the the ruggedness of the country uh however there's probably some areas that it could be done i've talked to different houndsmen out there about the possibilities of it of it taking place and and the feasibility of it actually happening and uh some of my most trusted friends in idaho you know just, just they can't they can't work it out in their mind every well, time i bring it up and i talk about it they give me something you know why it would not work and
2: the thing right, about right.
5: it is you're running lone wolves we're picking out lone wolves in wisconsin and also another fun fact they do not count low lone wolves in the Wisconsin total.
1: What does that so, mean? <laughs> what does that mean?
5: That means that there's a lot of lone wolves out there that aren't getting counted into the population. So, so how are they
3: counted? The population is a lot higher than what they uh, are Correct. letting on.
1: So if
5: I,
3: find,
1: right. if I find a single set of wolf tracks or I spot a single wolf, it is not going into the population count.
5: Correct, sir. And the fact that we killed lone wolves in the hunt how does if they're not counting them in their population, then what po- what impact did that actually have on the pack, on the the total on the packs in Wisconsin? It should be nothing,
4: yeah. right? Interesting. And that, that 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 could work for our, our advantage, you know. I mean, it, it, if you really look at it, like they're not counting the wolves that ha- the hounds then could handily kill a lone wolf. Uh, so let's not look at that as an as as
6: a bad thing yeah you know well, another thing i was thinking too is that if and the only thing i could really chime in there is that you yeah. know i wonder i would be very curious to see what the the um the spread of sex of wolf kill because if you're turning out on lone wolves statistically speaking i bet it's the majority of is it young males which is doing nothing sure. anyway sure you know right sure and, and absolutely. so absolutely makes perfect sense i'm not turning out on a pack and that's where the majority of the females are going to be if you really want to control the population that's where you go so you know you could also argue that we're not even really inflicting much damage to the population if that data suggests or you know reflected what we i'm kind of suspecting that if you're catching primarily young transient males and if you're looking at it from just a modeling standpoint I could see why they'd want to exclude solitary individuals from the overall count because it's like, how do you know it's the same individual or a different individual that you're counting in those lone sets of tracks? And then also like young adolescent males that are transient don't really care about the population total because they're probably just going to leave the area. So, I mean, yeah, like a mountain lion, really. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
4: It's going to have very, very, very little effect on the overall population yeah
6: definitely definitely yeah
1: Well, let's shift gears if nobody else has anything well we'll, this is our last topic we're going to talk about and uh it was a hot topic while i was in virginia this last week uh bear hunters in virginia are very aware and very concerned about the outbreak of sarcoptic mange in the black bear population and uh uh I I haven't read a lot of the studies but Virginia Fish and Wildlife has released different different uh, information about the outbreak in their population and it's now now being threatened so uh from sarcoptic mange and it was amazing to me to to stand around it would have been good tailgate talk material seth uh talking about mange among bear hunters because they're actually pretty well informed about the causes and uh, the spread and even more aware of the threat that it poses to the black bear population in the state of virginia right now and the the reports are just rolling out i mean i saw pictures from just just texted pictures of a roadkill bear that had mange, a bear on a bird feeder that had mange, a bear on a trail cam that had mange. I mean, these photos were all shared with me, that that weren't on social media. They were just being passed around the general public, among bear hunters. So, sarcoptic mange uh, is caused by a mite. Uh, the Sar- sarcoptes mite is what spreads mange. It burrows into the skin of the host and then ultimately causes uh de-herring and a lot of other health issues and ultimately care- kills the host so am i accurate there seth you're spot on the money there's also the demodex
6: mage which is caused by a different kind of mite, but same symptoms presents itself more commonly in cats but still in canids and bears as well but yeah you're right on the money
1: yep so So do they
3: do they actually have a percentage of fatality Uh, you know is there because everything i've seen uh that i've read seems to be that uh you know they try to basically tell you that uh you know there's no known uh numbers of deaths caused they said they can survive it but uh i used to hunt for Rockingham county 10 years or so ago hunted there many years and that's where the first case uh showed up now i know the bear hunters i talked with that still live there and hunt there they said they can't even find the bear and it used to be full of bears 10 years ago and uh i mean they they only treat a few bears last year um uh, so they're really worried about it but i haven't seen any actual information on fatalities from it uh you know percentage of fatality or anything like that
6: yeah, me neither. Honestly, And I was just trying to scour my brain for any of that um any of that data cuz we're always sampling for rabies. That's the, you know, the big thing we're looking for yeah. and so I I don't know. You know, and I know in milder climates animals can survive sarcoptic animals can survive for quite a while. I mean, I've seen coyotes right. that are like bald, completely bald. So um yeah, yeah I especially in South Texas, that's where like the Chupacabra legends come from.
2: But, yeah, yeah. Yeah, oh yeah, hell
4: oh yeah. I just, I just saw one like three minutes
2: ago. You saw Chupacabra? Chupacabra. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So,
6: But I, I've always wondered that too. I assume it's a very high mortality rate, um, so, but I don't know.
5: So I've, I've got a brochure up and it doesn't mention any type, type of mortality rate, but it's got a map of like capture and sighting year by year of mange um, bears, and it says in the bottom of it says, although mange can cause mortality in the Virginia black bears, there's no evidence that the disease is currently limiting populations in any part of the state. Which if and it's see that's everything,
3: bears, right? Everything I've read, nobody seems to say that it's killing bears, but from all the bear hunters that I'm talking to, they are really saying that their bear numbers have been decimated by, it. uh, and those guys know where the bears are. They've hunted these places down for dirty. years. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, there, there, there's several things online about, um, different studies and different things like that. Right now, the things that I've read is it's a prominent enough pro, uh, problem that there are different organizations from universities to nonprofits that are taking in captive bears and trying to figure out how to treat it with everything from uh, ivermectin to um oh what's the next one F- what is that Flora it's it's what our flea and tick medicine is made out of Flora something
4: referring? but uh,
1: yeah, yeah, Fipronil, yeah, yep. So there's there, like the problem with treating with ivermect is it takes two doses to effectively treat for sarcoptic mites because you're only killing the adults with ivermectin, and I actually heard some pretty interesting uh, remedies for that. One of them is using like a wick that we use for for cattle uh, around feeders and things like that for for delousing cattle. But you soak that wick in ivermectin and you set up bait sites and you allow the bears to come and go and spread that that ivermectin onto the hide and the fur uh, like that. Mm -hmm. I don't know if if that would be effective or not, but I thought it was, I mean, that, that tells me how much bear hunters are thinking about it in virginia when you get down to discussing the remedies
4: I, I i can tell you this animals will figure out a way to take care of themselves, and, and if that works they will use it that's yeah. that just that you know what i mean like that's just mother nature like if 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 you put something available to them at like a bait site or whatever where they can go rub on it and it will actually relieve them of parasites they they will absolutely use it and um and that that's just mother nature
6: the so, problem yeah, with I,
4: that I, is is that I, I like
6: where I'm pulling back is that the problem is when you make a communal area you're actually doing them more Then it's going to be
1: worse. You. Yeah. There you yeah, go. The okay. Well, that's a good segue yeah. into <laughs> I don't know what you're showing me, Lauren, but that's a good segue into my point, Seth, is communal. It's a transmitted communal might from one host to another. And yet Virginia is constantly fighting the battle about their length of season and their number of bears that they can harvest. So we've got the liberals, that the, the people that want to stop bear hunting, because of the welfare of wildlife, but yet we're overrun with mange in Virginia because we don't want to kill bears. No way. It's, yeah.
5: <laughs> oh, well, and, huh. and what I was showing Politics you
3: Politics and that, wildlife
1: management. Oh, my gosh. Oh, boy.
3: There, there you go.
5: <laughs> yeah, and what I was showing you is that their wildlife, the DWR, will not be treating mange. Treated bears are reinfected with no improvement in resistance to mange, um so that uh euthanizing is the most humane thing to do so people are like oh wow okay
4: hey that's that's advocating for hunting
6: yeah i mean it already was anyone with any kind of brain (laughs) right (laughs) (laughs) nature
5: is way worse i'll tell you that guys and i think all of us can understand that that nature is a Brutal, brutal beast. That's that's exactly my oh.
1: comment this weekend around the tailgate, Lauren. You know, you've got all of these people that think they're making all these decisions for wildlife based purely on emotion. It's yep. totally emotional yeah, based. There is no scientific yep. base to their, their thinking at all. But they think that hunting is more cruel than a bear dying of exposure and a a terrible death, death <laughs> from a sarcoptic mange yep. outbreak than it is for them to yep. we've got it figured out the north american model for wildlife conservation is a proven model it's the most effective success story for wildlife management in the history of mankind and yet we think that we can take emotional uh data and emotionally charged opinion and manage wildlife and it goes back to the wolf it goes back to the black bear it goes back to all this stuff and it just that's that's why we produce this podcast so that people can start understanding that and developing the language to combat it effectively in their area
6: and i will say this and i want this to be known to houndsmen are listening to this do not go too far in the other direction either because we ourselves can get emotionally charged and go too far. So stand back. (laughs) (laughs) No, no. I mean, the points you're making are valid for both of all sides because no one will take us seriously unless we ourselves are calm and rational. And I think that's really important. So I I just want to make that be known because I see a lot of like, you know, really hardcore vitriol from both sides. And I'm like, that's not going to accomplish us a thing. You know, what well, I mean? which is the and, whole point of this and, podcast.
4: And Chris, I'll I will speak upon the the kind of middle ground because Seth is a biologist and I I'm a houndsman and I and I work with biologists so I know exactly where he's coming from. So yeah, no, he's right. Like let's uh let's find a middle ground. Like we don't have to we don't have to be right every day every time or whatever but but the the uh if we try to go too far in our direction we lose them and so uh we we gotta we gotta we gotta hold the middle ground and keep the biologists on our side like Seth. and
6: uh, (laughs) i'm on your side buddy i promise (laughs) no no
4: no, i i know you i know you are but anyway, you know what I'm saying? Like like Oh absolutely. Like we we you you can you can totally lose the whole concept by by going too far. So anyways, like keep keep I guess just try to keep in the middle of, of everything.
6: Absolutely. The
4: uh the best thing that I think
3: that houndsmen and and outdoorsmen can do is learn the facts, take the time, learn the science. That's right. So that yep. when you get in yep. one of these conversations, you when you have the numbers and you have the scientific proof, you don't have to get emotional and emotionally charged because you can simply say, "Listen, here's the scientific data that proves what I'm saying. Where's your proof? Show right. me your proof." No, and when they continue I'll to be an emotional yep. mess, no,
4: they look bad. Yeah,
5: I'll tell yep. you. I'll t- yep. They'll take us way more seriously when we're cool, calm and collected, especially when testifying, you know, in front of a board or legislature. Um, you know, the some people that I saw testify today in that NRB meeting, I was like, you know, first of all, you didn't put yourself together. You look like you rolled out of bed and they were like pretty much screaming at the board. I'm like, that's just not the way you get your point across. Now these were pro wolf people. These weren't the houndsmen. The houndsmen were very, you know, put together, dedicated collected they know what they were going to say and it 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 did not feel emotional
4: no
3: and, and, that, and Shorty
4: that, said i'm oh, sorry as Shorty said
3: earlier that uh you know the the current trend in everything is bringing this emotion into stuff and and we've got to get back to somehow we've got to get back to the science and the numbers you know back in the 40s 50s 60s when the north american model for wildlife management was super effective and we were bringing back populations you know people were still connected with the farms and and life and death and you know people are are moving into the cities you know they're, they're more and more removed from from true life all the time life and death uh, I mean there's people that have to crawl in a safe space and go hide because something died their cat died or their dog died. I mean, we can't, the population as a whole can't deal with uh, emotions these days, and, and it's never going to get any better, it, it, it's a, a fact where it's only going to get worse, and we gotta we got to definitely present a unified front, learn the science, learn the numbers, present your case in a professional manner, people are going to pay attention to people that they think are professionals and they know what they're
4: talking about.
6: There a leader go.
4: yep so, yeah so and and yep no that's right that's that that's a very good point because uh when you when you when you walk up and you yeah you look presentable and you sound like you know what you're talking about, people are gonna listen that's a great point mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, this podcast is always about talking about the truth and talking about the things that we have to do as houndsmen to keep enjoying uh, the lifestyle that we live. And there are other things out there that are entertaining. You know, you can turn on Netflix and you can watch reruns of Seinfeld or whatever you want to be entertained. But this podcast is designed and was, was actually created to give people knowledge and, and facts about how do we keep this thing going. And I'm never going to deviate from that. Uh, we We do have some episodes that are fun, and we've had fun on this episode, but I really feel like my first and foremost obligation is to give houndsmen the tools that they need to be able to fight for their freedoms in their home states and in their home areas. So I'm not going to deviate from that. Glad to be a part of it. <laughs> yeah. So. Likewise. It's
5: important. Yeah.
3: You got to get involved. That's...
5: It's done.
3: Yeah. Mark, you know, and this is something that's really stuck with me is uh, the Michigan boys you know, they're they're really active, the Wisconsin boys. I mean, they got their stuff together and uh, you know, they go and they meet with their legislatures. They talk, they call them, they go to their offices and they they show up in person, shake their hand. It's a heck of a lot easier to ignore fifty thousand emails than fifty thousand people standing in your office looking you in the eye saying, What are we gonna do about this problem? So,
0: you know, if we can
3: get involved and really you know, in person, I think is a, is a big thing to these legislatures. Um, we we got to get active in that respect to to try to get our point across.
6: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally agree. Yep. Totally agree.
1: Well, let's wrap this one up, guys. Mm-hmm. I I appreciate everybody taking time tonight. Of course, Houndsman XP team. It's always fun, but Mark, I I really appreciate appreciate you taking time out of your schedule to join us tonight. And I wanted to have you on here specifically because of your background in in uh, wildlife biology and and your work in, there in Maine, and uh, so thanks for taking time to join us tonight.
3: Yeah, I appreciate you. I've really enjoyed it. It's a great group of guys, and it's a
4: worthy cause.
1: It's a hard. It's Andy, hard to get a,
5: It's hard to get a word <laughs>
1: in edgewise around here, Lauren. You got something.
5: <laughs> One lady drink. He said, "Great group of guys." I got to get my feminism in here for a second.
1: <laughs> <laughs> What's that thing called again? Oh, two chicks. Two
5: chicks.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Sounds liberal. That was a horrible business
5: choice, by the way. That was a bad name.
3: No, like, I, I was just—I don't know. It, it got our attention, didn't it? So I think listening. <laughs> <laughs> I'm
6: listening. I'm listening. <laughs> <laughs>
3: I perked up a little bit. What what was that? Oh if I'm getting drunk with two
6: chicks, I'm pumped, you know.
1: (laughs) Shorty.
2: Yeah. Shorty, what hey, hey. What?
1: Rain (laughs) it in. Cut her off. Shorty Shorty, you got any final thoughts? No. Let's
4: go to the next one.
5: (laughs) Seth, go ahead. Let's go to the next tree, Shorty. Let's
6: go on the next tree. Yeah. Uh, I think we covered everything we want to. I just want to throw down one thing. We debated about this. Um, we debated about this hard on Monday at work. And with this final thought, is it pronounced coyote or is it pronounced coyote? That's the only thing I was going to bring up. But I, I we'll let the listeners debate it out. I want to hear. We're going to do a poll. Is it coyote or just coyote? And with that. Well,
4: hey, I'm I'm saying yo.
6: That was also an option on the table. But I think in the the vernacular of the American. Make
4: make, make, make that (laughs) that an option. Yo. Yo. All right. I'm creating
5: the poll right now. Great. Song dog. Don't don't forget
1: to put song dog in there.
5: (laughs) (laughs) Just for you, Chris. Just for you.
6: Hey, thanks. That was Chris's prison name, Song Dog, right there. (laughs) There it is. There sing in is. a tune
1: there oh, is that. I'm
5: done, I'm out That's I'm a out. classic right there We know what'll make him sing
1: Lauren That was your final thought Yep. <laughs> Guys, I appreciate it Let's sign off for now And uh, till next time You follow your hounds, I'll follow mine We're out <laughs>
2: you people <laughs> that, came out, that Song, a that's
1: that came a good one circle, guys. That came How are we doing?